Our gospel reading for today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 2. I'll begin reading in the 18th verse. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. And when, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Best laid plans, right? You uh, ever have a plan not quite come together like you thought it might? Scott, in your vocation as a father and husband, I'm sure that's never happened. I'm sure it's never happened in your vocation as a youth minister either. The bus has never given you trouble. Uh, Things always just go smooth like you plan them, right? Uh, It probably will go in like manner in your call in Word and Sacrament as well. But along the way, as I share this before all of us and to my brother Scott, who will be ordained today, we hear, and as we just heard Heather read, the steadfast love of God His covenant with us, with you, endures forever. His covenant relationship endures. Even when plans don't come together. In in my life, in Joy and I's life, we thought we had a perfect plan for our wedding. We had a brilliant idea. We would get married at the retreat center in Washington State where her family would go to every summer, uh, many summers anyway, for a family vacation. It was perfect because her family was from California, but they'd come to Washington where my family lived. It'd be a great in-between place for us to come and spend a few days together and celebrate. And then on top of that, this retreat center was special to Joy and I because the college we attended had helped get it started. It was a perfect plan, right in the beautiful Cascade Mountains. I don't know if I mentioned that we got married in January. And although some friends and family thought, are you sure, January in the heart of the Cascade Mountains? But we thought, you know, the the pass is always open for skiers, and we've been there in uh, in those months before. No problem. Until a 50-year storm hit Seattle. Our wedding party had already flown into Seattle. It was a Sunday. And Joy was at her hotel room. I was at my parents' house. And she gets a phone message that she had to read. It said something like this. The wedding's been canceled. Only to find out that the retreat center had radioed down to their B&B and somehow got a hold of Joy's hotel room to let her know that they had been avalanched in. And no one would be in or coming out for a little while. 
So the next day on Monday, remember all of our wedding parties in Seattle at this point, we're needing to, uh, we were supposed to be traveling over to this retreat center in the mountains soon. Joy and I got together with the pastor who would marry us. And he said, you've got three days. It's no problem. You can just replan it. And so we did. (laughs) And on Thursday of that week, Christ was worshipped, family gathered around us, and now a quarter century later, still, we were married. You see, the central important part of that was not the wedding, but the covenant relationship that God would establish between Joy and I. The central part of your ministry Scott, won't be all the bells and whistles. It will be sharing the covenant relationship that God has for us. And to share that with the world around us, with his people, and all who need to hear. But you and I, we're tempted, aren't we, to focus on the wedding. And then we miss, we miss the centrality of the covenant relationship that God has for us. What is central is that God dwells among his people. He establishes the covenant. His love endures forever. In the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, which really it's one book in the Hebrew scroll, scroll, not two, as we've separated it in English, God's people had been taken away from that central location where the, God would dwell at the temple. You need to know that the, by this time, God's people, Israel, had been uh, already torn apart into two nations. Instead of one nation, they were now two, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And God's people uh, in the south from Judah were those who remained. The northerners in Israel had already been exiled and long gone. And that's where we get the term Jew from, from Judah, the tribe of Judah there in the south. And those who remained didn't stay much longer either. The temple would eventually fall when they were captured around 603 BC. And then a few years later, the the place that God dwelt would even be destroyed. And so they were carried off some thousand miles away to Persia. But then, as we hear in Ezra, by God's grace, he called them back. Scott, you'll spend your whole career inviting with love as God leads to call folks back to that temple to call us back to that place of grace. The only reason they came was because of God's love for them, a theological reason. I mean, it was a thousand mile hike, right? And when they got there, it didn't look like the wedding that they had planned, all right? Jerusalem was a mess. It was rubble. The temple was destroyed. 
And after settling in, you see in chapters one and two of Ezra, they went about the process of rebuilding the altar and worship was renewed. And there were tears of joy and praise and thanksgiving. Did you hear that read? That they praised the name of the Lord because of his what? Steadfast love endures forever. Whatever challenges we face in this life, whatever challenges, Scott, you may face as a pastor, whatever rubble like in Jerusalem was in rubble, there was no infrastructure. There were no walls. And yet God's enduring steadfast love was enough. It will be for you. It is for us. Now to be sure, like Joy and I grieved some of the ways that uh, our wedding didn't work out the way we planned, but we still rejoiced in the marriage. There were those that day who remembered what Solomon's temple looked like, and they were bummed. They were sad. It's not how I remember it. But the overarching voice that rung out together with those cries of sadness were cries of joy that God had gathered his people again with his steadfast love. Now, this is an important part to pause here as we look at the scriptures. Uh, I re- read or heard uh, a quote by Dick Luke, Lucas, a, a Bible teacher, say this. He said that the Bible is for you, but it's not always immediately about you. And what he means by that is that when we try to make the the Bible all about us, then we end up missing the God's larger plan, God's larger vision that he is for you. If it had been your plan, Scott, you may not have orchestrated the call to ministry quite like it happened, right? The timing, the order of events in your life, the, the great things that happened and the challenges that I'm sure you've endured throughout life. And yet God's love endures forever. His larger plan for you, and friends, God's larger plan for you endures Let me just give you two kind of historical anchors. Ezra and Nehemiah on that one scroll, they'd been, God's people had been gone for decades when they got back. And they'd, uh, both those in the north, Israel and those in the south, had been uh, exiled and and conquered. But they'd been conquered differently with different personalities. The Assyrians, for example, who conquered those in the north, Uh, They had a destroy and intermarry you out of existence policy, all right? And so that's why those lost 10 tribes are not known to us much today, except for some second cousins known as the Samaritans. They've virtually been wiped out in every way possible. Babylonians, on the other hand, who would also be a a conqueror of Israel, 
would do it a little differently. If you know Star Trek The Next Generation, it was more like the Borg. You know, resistance is futile, all right? Our culture is better, and we will forcibly uh, enculturate you into our society. So they took people away and did forced assimilation. Then there were the Persians who were largely responsible for the exile of the southern kingdom in Judah. The Persians had the kind of coexist mentality, okay? You can go ahead and keep worshiping your God. And in fact, many gods are just fine with us. All Everyone's individual gods are just fine with us. As long as, one caveat, they all support the empire. You and I, friends, we are tempted to fall away from dwelling in the presence of God, oftentimes in one of those three ways. Whether it's our faith being destroyed into a form of secular atheism that is prevalent today. We no longer see the joy of the Lord, God's plan throughout history coming after us. We no longer recognize that God's word is preeminent as we get like the Babylonians assimilated into the culture that we're in. And we think, oh, well, my identity is the only thing that's absolute. Or we're tempted, like the Persians, to think, oh, all roads lead to heaven. It doesn't really matter. We're all equal. And now we enter into Ezra and Nehemiah and we meet Zerubbabel, who said, no, you need to come back to God's temple where God dwells. Ezra, who said, no, you need to come to the Torah, God's word. And Nehemiah, who God used to rebuild the walls, he said, no, in all of your daily vocation, in all of your life, it comes under the Lord Jesus. Scott, you'll be inviting us as pastor to do those very things, to gather us at his place of worship, to bring us under his holy word. And to call us to live out our vocations in the world. And to find out all of us, unlike those who have been exiled from the dwelling place of God, that we might forget in that exile that God is for us. One more historical context to help us with here. And that's the temple, the place that we're hanging out here in chapter 3 of Ezra. But it's also the place where Jesus welcomes us to. Did you know that when Solomon first built the temple, it was during the month of Nisan in the spring? Did you know, did you notice in Ezra 3? 
when he led his people back to the second temple, it was in the month of Nisan. And did you know that when God's temple, his body, the Messiah, Christ Jesus himself, returned and then was destroyed and was raised up in three days, that all took place, you guessed it, in the month of Nisan. You see, the, the, the work of Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah all were kind of anticlimactic. When you read through the books, you find out that it didn't end exactly like they'd hoped it would. Because it's only a foreshadow of the final temple, which is Christ, who will complete this work. And it may be, Scott, that there are days that it will feel anticlimactic to you in your ministry. But it will not thwart God's final temple, which has been destroyed, but has also been raised. He is risen. And his hesed, his goodness, his presence, his steadfast love endures forever. The God who brought them back at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah would complete that promise on the cross and at the resurrection. That's why Jesus taught on the road to Emmaus that all of scripture is about me. And everything you do, Scott, has to be about him too. And so when he gathers us, people of God, at his place of worship today, the New Testament calls that koinonia or fellowship. It's fellowship with God based on his goodness. So his communion with the Holy Spirit because of him is now our communion. The partnership that we have is now mutual participation. And as Paul charged Timothy, and it changed that word from koinonia to koinonikos, he said, you'll also be a champion of generosity through that fellowship, sharing your gifts. It's interesting that in Ezra you'll read about how the people, not just the king of Persia, would give of their own treasures to pay for that new temple. And so, Scott, you'll invite us to do the same to come into this deep covenant fellowship with God and with one another. And then using our gifts, whether it's gifts of finances or time or talent, to glorify God and bless our neighbor. And so even in desolate places, and I know some of us are living in and the world is living in, we can see it in the news, we can hear about it in Europe, with the war, we can see it with the fires. Sometimes there are desolate places in our lives and sometimes even it comes to our own home. But even then, because his steadfast love endures forever, you can proclaim, Scott, and we can all believe that life has a purpose in desolate, desolate places. Jesus said to his disciples, I go and prepare a place for you. Do you see now, friends, God has been preparing for a long time for you. Just imagine the emotion of that. Imagine a loved one or a friend who plans a gift for you, spends hours on it, 
And you know you don't deserve the investment that they've made. You know you don't deserve the gift they're giving. You know you couldn't do it yourself. This is what God has done for us. And he's been doing it from the beginning of time. And he's completed it in Christ. And so, Scott, keep inviting us to return to that steadfast love. Don't settle for the Facebook reel, R-E-E-L, or or just a good-looking wedding. Come to something deep and meaningful and real, R-E-A-L. Continue to invite us, Scott, and all of us, by God's word, to move from unbelief and syncretism and the mistake of thinking it's about us to the deep reel of God's covenant. For three days later, after that temple, Christ, our Lord, was destroyed. He was rebuilt. He is risen. And God is rebuilding in each of you. And God is building a new calling in you in word and sacrament, Scott. Because that promise is real. And so they sang and so we'll sing and praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Amen.